Psalm chapter 10, let's get into the Word of God. The psalmist tonight, as he's writing here, um, he's wrestling with the fact that oftentimes the wicked and the godless, they prosper in this life. And not only do they prosper, oftentimes they oppress, you know, the weak and the poor, while all the while renouncing God and even mocking God. And as he wrestles with this, by the end of the psalm, he gets an eternal perspective. And while he's wrestling with it, as this psalm was written as the Holy Spirit moved upon the author, we don't know for sure it is, probably David, 9 and 10 seem to go together that we looked at last week. We see even as he is wrestling with this, you know, what God himself moves on him and giving him insight to this whole issue, this whole situation. And uh, more than once, I've had people, I had someone even recently come to me kind of wrestling with this issue of someone just walking in a type of rebellion and yet they seem blessed in what they were doing and, you know, we could be very limited in what we see and we got to take things back to how God sees things and again, how things are going to unfold uh, eternally because sometimes prosperity on this earth, though again, Every good and perfect gift is sent from the Father of lights above, and God would give and gives to us His kindness to lead us to repentance. You know, if someone takes those blessings and end up, ends up worshiping them and making them their God, that, that their God versus the God who gave those things to them, that's not prosperity. That's, that's poverty. That's spiritual poverty. And, you know, Christ Himself said, what's a profit of man if He gains the whole world? And if you left it right there, you know what, most of the world will say, yes, that's what we want. I want to gain the whole world. But then Jesus said, but loses his soul. And really, that's, just, that's, that's what the psalm brings out. These that seem to be gaining the whole world, and yet they don't have a relationship with the Lord. They don't have faith in God. And if they die in that place, they die in a place of having to give an account for their life. And you know what, we'll get into it here, but Scripture even talks about those that prosper here when they don't acknowledge him, really they even heap up judgment on their own head. And that's a frightening thing. And the Lord wants us to have that biblical perspective. He doesn't want us to fall into a place of jealousy, you know, when we see the world prospering or envy. You know, it really he wants us to know who we are in Christ. And let me ask you, are you in Jesus Christ tonight? Can you say amen to that? Amen. Then the wealthiest people in the world are in this room. We have every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. We have eternal life. Um, you know, we, we have uh, a mansion being prepared by the God who made this world in six days being prepared for us in heaven. So that's going to be a pretty awesome mansion. And to know tonight I'm forgiven of my sin and I have the mercy of God. I'm not going to get what I deserve, hell, for all of my rebellion and so forth. I'm wealthy right here. My bank, my bank account might necessarily show that, though even practically in that compared to much of this world, I'm doing pretty good. I got a roof over my head and whatnot. Like I said in our prayers tonight, we're all fed here tonight, got clothing on our back. We, we're blessed across the board. So let's get into this. I'll start by reading the first, let's do the first seven verses. We'll just start making our way down through this. He says, why do you stand afar off, O Lord? Why do you hide in times of trouble? The wicked in his pride persecutes the poor. Let them be caught in the plots which they have devised. For the wicked boast." Of his evils, his heart's evil, his heart's desire, 
He blesses the greedy and renounces the Lord. The wicked in his proud countenance does not see God. God is in none of his thoughts. His ways are always prospering. Your judgments are far above out of his sight. As for all his enemies, he snares at them. And has said in his heart, I shall not be moved. I shall never be in adversity. His mouth is full of cursing and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue is trouble and iniquity. I'm going to keep reading. He sits in the lurking places of the villages. In the secret places, he murders the innocents. His eyes are secretly fixed on the helpless. He lies in wait secretly as a lion in his den. He lies in wait to catch the poor. He catches the poor when he draws him into his net. So he crouches, he lies low, that the helpless may fall by his strength. He has said in his heart, God has forgotten. He hides his face, he will never see. Verse 12, arise, O Lord, O God, lift up your hand. Do not forget the humble. Why do the wicked renounce God? He has said in his heart, you will not require an account. But you have seen, for you observe trouble and grief to repay it by your hand. The helpless commits himself to you. You are the helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked and the evil man. Seek out his wickedness until you find none. Verse 16, the Lord is king forever and ever. The nations have perished out of his land. Lord, you have heard the desire of the humble. You will prepare their heart. You will cause their ear to hear. To do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed, that the man of earth may oppress no more. You ever ask this question? Why do you stand afar off, O Lord? Why do you... Hide in times of trouble? You ever been in that place where you felt like that? You observe a situation that seems so unjust and you struggle with it? I think all of us have been there before. I think this is included in the Word of God because the Lord knows we wrestle with such things. And absolutely He understands why we would wrestle with such things. Uh, From a practical standpoint, when things aren't fair from man's perspective. And I know a lot of times we'll say it's not fair when actually it is fair. But there are those times when things actually actually aren't fair. They're not right. People get away with things that you're like, why should they be getting away with that? And wicked atrocities done and so forth. And it's easy in the midst of that to say, you know, Lord, why aren't you doing something about this? Why are you standing afar off? And he's asking you this question, And so we should ask the question, you know, does the Lord stand afar off? Does he hide himself in the midst of trouble? And the answer absolutely is no. I mean, he told man in the garden, the day you eat of the tree, you're going to die. And man said, I don't believe you. I'll be my own God and ate of that tree. Well, God's not a liar. And guess what? Death has set in since that time. As God said it would. The earth came under a curse and everything got messed up really, really quickly when man said, I will do my own thing. And forfeited so much dominion over to the liar, Lucifer, who he listened to. And really, you know what, if justice would have been struck from the beginning, that would have been the end of the story right then. Man would have said, I'm done, or God would have said, I'm done with you right now. You've rebelled, you've eaten in that tree, I told you you were going to die. Not only is physical death going to set in, you're dead right now, and now you're spiritually separated from me forever because I'm holy and you're in sin right now. And that would be an act of justice by a just God. But God in his mercy and God in his love, he told man, because you've done this, there's going to be a curse on the earth. You're going to go earn your keep by the sweat of your brow. Your poor wife is now going to 
have horrific pain when she births these kids. You came from the dust to the dust you're going to return. But then what did he do? He went over and made a sacrifice for him, right? And he said, it's time to take out those fig leaves that you put on to try to cover your sin and iniquity because your works can't do that. But I'm going to make a sacrifice for you and I'm going to cover you with the skins of that sacrifice. And then he said, a savior is going to come who's going to crush the head of that serpent. That serpent will bruise his heel, but he's going to crush his head. So absolutely, does God stand afar off? No. Does he hide in times of trouble? No. He's long-suffering is what he is. He gives opportunity for men to repent. He gives opportunity for us to come to him. And we got to remember that because even as the psalmist is writing this, why do you stand afar off? Why do you hide in times of trouble? And again, we can relate to that, especially as a people who come to faith in Christ Jesus. And we begin to have eyes to see and we look at all the... The, the injustice in the world and all the sin in the world. And boy, you look at our world today and he's even put into our heart a longing, come soon, Lord Jesus. And, and yes, that's all good. And, and you know, we should long for his coming. Why are you hiding? But let's remember, there were people 50 years ago saying, come soon, Lord Jesus. 40 years ago, 30, 20, 10, a year ago saying, why do you hide? Why do you stand off? And in the meantime, you got born again in that time. And you got saved. And so when we start questioning the timing of the Lord, we got to remember his timing is perfect. And God doesn't stand far off. He doesn't hide. As the psalmist is wrestling with this, the Lord sees everything. And everything's going to come into, you know what, the light. And we're going to give an account for all things. And I praise him that he is long-suffering because it gave me time to respond to the call of the Holy Spirit to get born again and to now be covered by the blood of Jesus Christ and to have my life hidden in him. Because if I had to give an account for my own life, I'm going straight to hell. And believe it or not, that's true for everyone in this room. No matter what you came out of, how good you think you are, whatever, we are sinners and we need the grace of God. So again, absolutely we can relate to the question we have the answer. He doesn't hide. He doesn't stand afar off. He's long-suffering. He's merciful. And on one hand, as we wrestle with wanting him to return and put things in order, at the same time, we can rejoice that he is long-suffering and his timing is a perfect timing. Verse 2, he says, the wicked and his pride persecutes the poor. Let them be caught in the plots which they have devised. And again, where did poverty start? It started with man sinned in the garden. He became enslaved. He listened to that lie thinking he'd be like God and really he forfeited everything. And ever since that time of the fall of man, before the flood, after the flood, and this day we're living in today, there are certain individuals that oppress other individuals. Now I think all of us are guilty at one point or another of oppressing someone else. But really since the fall of man, there have been, you know what, groups that are more higher-ups, if we want to call them, who walk in line with the enemy. It's not all of them. Listen, it's not a sin to be wealthy. It's what you do with that wealth will determine whether it's sinful or not. But there are a group of individuals in every culture, pretty much since the fall of man and every society, that are really thinking they're in charge. Ultimately, they're puppets, though, of the God of this world. And they oppress the poor. And listen, I'm not up here trying to be Joe progressive social justice guy, but even the book of James talks about 
when someone rich comes in, you roll out the red carpet for him and want to give him a pedicure and a manicure and every bow down because he's got a lot of money. Meanwhile, the poor guy comes in and we just ignore him because he stinks from sleeping in the street. And the word of God says, don't you remember? It's the rich who oppresses you. That's what God says. It's not all the rich. You got the Joseph of Arimatheas and you know what? The Solomons and different people of the world that use that for the glory of God as they are called to. They have the, if you have wealth, then you have the gift of giving. It's time to use that for the glory of God and to minister to others. But there's always been these individuals in their pride, they persecute others. And they're prideful because they think that something they did made them deserving of all of that. And the truth is, everything we have has been given to us. Therefore, God deserves all the glory and all the honor. Also in their pride, they're, they're foolish, not realizing that though they think they have the world by the throat, God's opposed to them because he's opposed to the proud and gives grace to the humble. And even in doing what they're doing, they're heaping up judgment against themselves. Think about the rich man and Lazarus and the parable that Jesus told. And they both pass away and Lazarus is there in Abraham's bosom and the rich man is in that torment. And the rich man isn't in the torment because he was rich. And the poor man isn't in Abraham's bosom just because he was poor. Obviously, the man had a faith in the coming Messiah. Because outside of faith in the Messiah, I don't care if you're rich or you're poor, whatever you are, you're in your sin. But that rich man heaped up even a greater judgment because in his pride, instead of acknowledging God and that kindness leading him to repentance, he acted like, you know what, I don't need to thank God, I earned all this. And that's utter nonsense, because even if you go out and you work to earn something, God gave you the ability to go out and work and earn it, and even the opportunity. I know a lot of people that are incredibly gifted and talented and incredibly hard workers, and yet they struggle just to get by because they didn't necessarily have that opportunity that someone else that's half as talented and works half as, half as hard fell into. And sometimes that's just the case. And it's not that the person who is a hard worker and even more talented should get bitter. They shouldn't. Because if they're a believer in Christ, guess what? God's going to use all of that for their good and for God's glory. And so he's wrestling with, though, the wicked here, you know, in pride, persecuting the poor. And then, you know what? He cries out, let him be caught in the plots they have devised. And Think of Proverbs 26, 27, whoever digs a pit will fall into it, and he who rolls a stone will have it rolled back on him. And that's true. And really, as he's praying this, he's praying it in line with Scripture. And boy, there's a lot of oppressive people in the world today, oppressing all sorts of things, and in doing it, not glorifying God, and doing it, no matter what they're oppressing and what their angle is, it is to step on others to exalt themselves. And there, it comes in all types, types of forms and all different shapes and so forth. It happens with money. It happens positions. It happens in Christianity. You know, when the letters are written to the church of Revelation, it talks about the Nicolaitans. And what are they? They're an oppressive group that oppress others. And what's the Lord say? Listen, if you want to be great, then serve others. Don't, if you're in leadership, don't lord over the people. That's what the Gentiles do. Become a minister to them and serve them. Verse 3, the wicked boasts in, of his heart's desire. He blesses the greedy and renounces the Lord. That's a frightening place to be. 
boasting in your heart's desire. The prophet Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitfully, is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And yet, aren't we living in an age where we're told continually, follow your heart. You can't go wrong if you follow your heart. Oh, your heart's telling you to leave your wife and go be with this other woman? Well, follow your heart. You fell out of love. It's deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? You know, who can know it? The Lord. That's why we got to say, search me, O Lord, and know my heart. Try me, know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any wicked way in me. If there is, remove it. And absolutely, the Lord will give you the desire of your heart if what? Delight yourself in the Lord, and then he'll give you the desire of your heart. Why? Because now my heart gets in line with him. And if my heart gets in line with him, and his desires become my desires, absolutely. Jesus said, if you ask anything in my name, I will give it. But how many times do we even boast in the desire of our heart, which is an absolute opposite and opposing the word of God and what God would have for us? And in that, notice here, the wicked one that's being talked about here, he blesses the greedy. And so he even, not only is he walking in sin, he approves of those that are in sin and then takes it another step, renounces the Lord. To renounce it means to formally declare one's abandonment, to refuse to recognize or abide any longer. Think about it. It's one thing to be a non-believer. It's one thing to be a, an agnostic, maybe, where you're like, I just don't know. But to renounce the Lord, to formally declare, I'm done with you. I refuse to even recognize you. We're living in a world where much of it has renounced the Lord. Listen, when our school system said, we're no longer going to allow prayer in here. We're going to no longer have the Ten Commandments here. We're going to teach all these kids that came from apes. That was renouncing the Lord. Now, praise God, not every teacher agrees with that and so forth. But that's a renouncing of God. What a frightening place to be. And notice here, it's linked with what? It's linked with wickedness. It's a wicked thing to do. Atheism is a wicked thing. And you've run across an atheist. That's someone desperately kicking against the goads because the evidences of God are all around us. You show me anything that has design and I'll show you a designer. I say all the time, if you want to come in here and try to convince someone that that chair you're sitting is the product of time plus slime, good luck with that. Anyone that comes in here is going to say, you're crazy. And you say, no, enough time went by and that chair appeared. You're crazy. And yet they'll turn around and accept the fact that your eyeball is the, is the product of time plus slime. Which is more advanced than anything man has ever even begun to put together. And even all those parts that takes for your eyeball to work, for them all to happen at once. Well, evolution doesn't even say it happens that way. Because it's a lie. It's a renouncing of God. Verse 4, the wicked in his proud countenance does not seek God. God is in none of, his, none of his thoughts. And notice here, in his proud countenance, he doesn't seek God. Why? Because in his pride, he thinks he is God, going back to the garden. I don't need God. I am God. I don't need to seek God because I am God himself. And notice, as a result, God's in none of his thoughts. Think of Philippians three eighteen through 19. For many walk of whom I told you often and now tell you even weeping, 
that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. What a frightening place to be. Whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. So these are individuals that don't even consider their latter end. They don't even consider the fact that, again, the last beat of their heart was given to them by God. They suppress that. They harden their heart. They have a seared conscience. You know, you think of Romans 1, when men don't give thanks, when they don't give honor where it's due, eventually God begins to give them over to a deprived mind. They worship the creation instead of the creator. And then they start doing things that are vile and foul. And it even goes on, they even approve of those that do such things. And we need to be careful with that because there's a lot of people in the church today or Christianum, if we want to call that, that may not be practicing those things, the things of the proud, the things, you know what, of the wicked as it's talked about here and so forth, but they got no problem approving of it. Go read Romans 1 again. There's a pressure today on Christianum to approve of those things that those who do not hold God in their thoughts go out and practice. And you know what, quite frankly, I'm getting sick of social media of Christians going, I'm just called to love these folks. I'm just called to look them in an eye and give them a big hug. Yeah, you are called to love them, but loving them includes sharing truth with them. And then they always bring up Jesus and the woman dragged to him caught in adultery. And yes, we feel for that woman because that group of punks that dragged her there probably had already committed adultery with her. Well, how did they even know where the prostitute was? And Jesus started writing in the ground one by one. They all got up and left. So he wrote something down that obviously put, put them in check and served them. But what did the Lord say to him after he loved her and said, where's your accusers? And she says, they're done. And the Lord didn't say, I love you, sister. Go back to your harlotry. He didn't say that, did he? He said, go and sin no more. And so we need to be careful because we're living in a culture that is renouncing the Lord. We're living in a, in a culture that has its mind set on earthly things. And there's all this pressure put on the church to say, well, you don't have to participate, but you need to approve and you need to love, which just means you accept them where they are. And yes, I don't know, I'm just thinking about something I saw the other day where someone said, I'm going to respond to transgenders this way, and I'm going to look them in the eye, and I'm going to love them, and I'm going to do the right thing. And I'm thinking, is this about a transgender, or are you just being a jerk? Because you should do that with everyone in the first place, right? Like, maybe you're more convicted because of your your judgmental attitude towards people and this is about you not the transgender person who actually yes should be looked at the eye and talked to but then taken to the gospel of Jesus Christ like you would do with anyone else anyhow I'm on a rant here verse 5 I'm thinking where did they you know like I don't know maybe I just grew up in a different world I grew up around sinners freaks hoes or whatever you want to call them I was one this is a, a, a jacked up world. And you got, you're going to get all offensive and offended when someone is behaving like a godless person? That's where you were. Maybe you just didn't have wig on on high hills, but that's where you were. And we need to love them by taking the gospel to them and, and, and getting around them, but not approving of what they're doing, but taking them to Jesus Christ. Bringing them in to hear the gospel. 
Again, I ranted more. Verse 5. His ways are always prospering. Your judgments are far above out of his sight. As for all his enemies, he snares at them. And so again, from the natural man's perspective, this proud individual is prospering even in his sin. Do you ever see that? I mean, we see it all the time, don't we? Look down the road to Hollywood. You talk about, for the most part, an utterly rebellious group of individuals who are really directing and dictating much of the way people think in our country because most people just sit and they say, well, I don't get my doctrine from this, but they don't even take their thoughts captive and they're getting brainwashed by it. And you look at the midst of this rebellion where it just seems to be prosperity outwardly, though I know inwardly most of those people are utterly miserable. But in their prosperity, notice he says, your judgments are far above out of his sight. The individual doesn't realize that they're under the judgment of the Lord. And listen, I think there's an absolute truth in this. You might be offended by it. But hear this. Being in the crack house oftentimes is better than being in the penthouse. Does that make sense? Because when you're in the crack house, you know you're under the judgment of God. You know you're a filthy sinner doing whatever you need to do to get that next hit so you don't fiend. Up there in the penthouse, though, you got this, you know, it idea that you're above the judgment of God because you have more material things and a higher position so there's been an exaltation of yourself not realizing that everything you have is a gift from God that should get you on your face to acknowledge him and to give him glory but instead they're up there thinking they're above the judgments of God and I've never met anyone in the crack house so to speak and when I say that I'm I'm just talking about the the underbelly of society I've never met one who declares their own righteousness they know they're sinners and they know they need, they need a savior. They know they're under the judgment of God. You're like, okay, we're halfway through. We're through the bad news. Now let's bring you to the good news. In the penthouse, they, they don't even want to acknowledge the bad news. They need the law. They need a tutor to bring them to the knowledge of Christ. And even that they shun and they reject. And they say, I'm not going to think about that. I'm all good where I am up here with the high and mighty, snaring at their enemies and so forth. And oftentimes their enemies are those bringing the gospel of Jesus Christ, because it brings such a conviction. Verse 6, he has said in his heart, I shall not be moved, I shall never be in adversity. Again, hear this, man. Notice here, he says in his heart, I shall not be moved, I shall never be in adversity. I, I, I know for a fact there's going to be more people in hell because of their own heart than Satan listening to their own heart. There's a way that seems right to a man, the end of that way is death. Saying in his heart, I won't be moved, I'll never be in adversity. Well, you see those things throughout the word of God. Think about Babylon, even in, uh, in Revelation, this global economy, and it gets rocked and it gets brought down in a single day. We gotta be careful about what's going on inside of our own heart. Are we taking those thoughts captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ? Verse 7, his mouth is full of cursing and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue is trouble and iniquity. And again, his tongue's reflective of Satan himself, a liar full of curses. Versus giving praise to God, giving glory to God. A lying tongue. Under it is trouble and iniquity. As I just thought about that, even just preparing for tonight, you know, thinking about the, the tongue of the wicked 
But the Bible talks about our tongues, does it not? And just, you know what, I thought of James 3, 8 through 12. It says, but no man can tame the tongue. It's an unruly evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father. With it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceeds blessings and curses. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter water from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives and grapevine bear fig, figs? The spring yields both, the, the, thus no spring yields both salt water and fresh water. And again, you can look at the world and the wicked, all this stuff spewing out of them. And boy, we're living in a world with a million and one voices. All those media gadgets and all that stuff you have, there's a million and one voices speaking into our life, aren't, aren't there? But what's coming out of our mouth? I think we need to take that to heart in the midst of, I'm so offended by that and this and that was said over there. Well, what's coming out of my mouth? Am I just spewing fresh water? Am I continuing just praising God? I want to, but let me tell you, there's some times when this, there's some, there's some salt, dirty salt water coming out of my mouth. And as I look at this, I want to be careful and getting to like, yeah, bring the judgment. Again, I understand the Lord's coming and there'll be a new heaven, a new earth, the millennial reign of Christ. I'm looking forward to that. But I read this and I say, thank you, Lord, for having mercy on my filthy mouth. Thank you for your grace, God. Because this thing needs to, this thing deserves to be cut out. I mean, remember Isaiah the prophet, I think it's in chapter 6. He asked the Lord to, you know what, send me. And the Lord touches his, his mouth with a coal because it needs to be purified. Verse 8, he sits in the lurking places of the village. In the secret place, he murders the innocent. His eyes are secretly fixed on the helpless. He lies in wait uh, secretly as a lion in his den. He lies to wait to catch the poor. He catches the poor when he draws him into his net. So he crouches. He lies low that the helpless may fall by his strength. Notice, lurking in these secret spots and so forth. It's like a secret society here with a secret agenda. And say, Steve, you're full of conspiracies. Well, actually, it's a biblical fact because God's word says it's the case. These are people, again, uh, the proud, the, the, the wealthy and so forth, lurking in these places, again, looking at their fellow man, not as someone to minister to, but someone to take advantage of and step on. James 2.6, again, I talked about it earlier, but I'll read it now. But you have dishonored, dishonored the poor man. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? Do they not blaspheme the noble name by which you are called? And that's what this is speaking of here. Individuals that have been abundantly blessed, and instead of giving God the glory for that, take that to rip apart other people. Let me tell you tonight, if you're in a place where you have employees, if you're in a place where God's blessed you with wealth, don't shortchange those people. The labor is worthy of its wage. God will bless you. God will multiply that. But instead, if you look and you say, how can we squeeze this turnip to get one more drop of blood out of it? You're going to heap a judgment upon yourself. And again, listen, I'm not saying this, trying to be a socialist or a communist. That's, that stuff's satanic and wicked. Socialism is wicked. To say, I'm just going to take from you and give to someone else. You're supposed, you know what? The Bible says if you don't work, don't eat. That's New Testament doctrine right there. 
Now, some people can't work, and absolutely, we need to minister to them. But to say, you're not going to work, but he's working, so we're going to take from him and we're going to give it to you. That's called thiefery. It's called breaking one of the Ten Commandments. But in the midst of a capitalistic society, where people do have opportunity to, again, advance and earn wealth and so forth, that is not given by God to go and crush other people. That's given by God to go and bring him glory out of that and to minister to other people. And I hope we can say amen to that. And you'll even see in the course, you'll see even in the course of time, you know, individuals and companies that run that way, eventually they fall. And I, I, don't, I know I look around practically at a, at a lot of businesses and such, and ones that treat their employees right, it seems like prosper. It, it, every time I go to In-N-Out Burger, the line is like out the thing, and I, I don't know what they're paying at KFC. I don't know what they're paying their employees over there. But I know that they're paid better at In-N-Out Burger, and everyone seems happy to be working in there. And the food's always good. Again, it's just a practical point I'm making here, but you just don't ever get ahead lurking around in secret places looking to murder someone to advance yourself. You're digging a pit, you'll fall in. And we can look at this and say, oh yeah, the psalmist's talking about them. What about us? We can take some application here tonight. I want to take some application. I, I want to have my mind, my mind renewed by this to say, listen, I want to go walk in the light and trust in the Lord and then let God bring what he wants versus sneaking around and, you know, it, lurking around and, and trying to do things that way. Because, again, sometimes there's lurking around and sneakiness going around even in the body of Christ. Oh, no, it can't be. Yes, it happens. Verse 11, he has said in his heart, God has forgotten. He hides his face. He will never see. And there's individuals like this. They live day after day renouncing God and the hardness of the heart, and God gives them day after day in His grace and His long-suffering and mercy, giving them another and another and another opportunity to repent. But instead of them singing that way, they think, I got away with it yesterday and the day before that. I'm getting away with it today. God's not even going to hold me account. He's not going to hold me even accountable. And the truth, He sees all, and every act and every word is going to be brought into the light. And again, I am so thankful that I'm covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. Because the thought of every act and every word and every thought brought into the light, that should make our knees buckle. Man, to be judged to the uttermost, what a frightening thought. But what a, what a thing to rejoice in in Christ Jesus to know I'm saved to the uttermost. The shed blood of my Lamb. The shed blood of the Lamb of God. Verse 12, arise, O Lord, O God, lift up your hand, do not forget the humble. And again, it's that cry, Lord, come and do justice. And he's a just judge, and that justice will come. In the meantime, though, he's saying, don't forget the humble, and the humble should know, yes, and I'm just like them outside of the grace of God. So yes, Lord, come soon, but at the same time, let's rejoice in the long-suffering of God and not get into this place where we forget where we came from. The Lord said, remember, you were delivered out of Egypt. Remember, I plucked you out of that iron furnace. It's a frightening thing when, when believers quit forgetting. Stop, they, 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 they forget that. 
when, when they're sitting around in church and they're, you know, all offended because someone all messed up just came in and they don't like how the way they look or whatever and they forget that, yeah, that was you seven years ago. You're like, but I never dressed like that. Yeah, but you were just like them on the inside. You just did a little better job covering it. You were a little better hypocrite than them. An actor. You were fronting. And they just wore it on the sleeve and they said, I don't care. But both of you needed Jesus, amen? Verse 13, why do the wicked renounce God? He has said in his heart, you will not require an account. And again, touched on this. You won't require an account. I think this is where it's so important that we understand the purpose of the law of God. First Timothy 1.8, but we know the law is good if one uses it lawfully. What's the reason for the law of God? Is it so once I'm saved, I got to climb Sunshine Mountain to really be right with God? No. The law of God shows people they're sinners. Whether they're in the crack house or the penthouse. And we need to hear the law of God to know God will require an account of you. And this is why our country has worked so hard to get the law of God out of school systems and out of courthouses and out of public displays. Satan knows what he's doing. That law there is not so men can measure up and say, if I'll keep all 10 of them and be right with God. Well, if you can't keep all 10, you will be, but I got bad news, you can't keep them. And that law is there to give people a tutor and it tells people, you will give an account for your life. That's why this world so desperately does not want to hear the law of God. Because it's a tutor showing them you're a filthy sinner that has broken this and you're going to stand before a holy God. You need a savior. And all of a sudden they're educated by this tutor to why they need Jesus Christ and the fact that you are going to give an account. Verse 14, but you have seen, for you observe trouble and grief to repay it by your hand. The helpless commits himself to you. You are the helper to the fatherless or of the fatherless. And this is kind of the flip side to the oppressed. Listen, if you're the fatherless tonight, you're the poor tonight, you're the widow tonight, you're the humble one. You don't have a call to go feel sorry for yourself and go over in the corner and say, oh, I'm the oppressed one. There's good news for you. You are the helper of the fatherless. There's one named God Almighty who wants to come alongside you. Isn't that good news? And let me tell you, that's worth more than all the stacks and the money, all the stacks of money in the world put together. We've got to have a proper perspective of these things. Because again, so oftentimes we say, oh, they're so wealthy and you're so poor. But wait a minute, you know Christ and you renounce Christ? You're actually the wealthy one and you have absolutely nothing. But you're holding on to a fat anchor that's going to damn your soul to hell unless you lay that down like the Lord said to the rich man, sell all you have and come and follow me. Was that a requirement of salvation? I got to sell everything to be a Christian? No, Jesus was saying, you got to quit worshiping this God and come worshiping, start worshiping the God of gods and the Lord of lords. You got to repent of who your God is. And sadly, the man went away sorrowful because he had much. What a horrific thing. And it says all the while Jesus loved him. Verse 15, break the arm of the wicked and the evil man. Send out his wickedness until you find none. And again, these judgments will come. This is the valley of decision. 
The day is coming when all wickedness will be exposed and, and will be eradicated from this earth. And again, outside of the blood of Jesus Christ, that'd be all of us getting our arms broken and everything else. But Christ was broken for you so you could be washed and cleansed. Let's rejoice in that tonight. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations have perished out of his hand. Lord, you have heard the desire of the humble. You will prepare their heart. You will cause your ear to hear, to do justice to the fatherless and oppressed. Notice here that the man of the earth may oppress no more. Jesus is the man of heaven. Who's the man of the earth? It's the Antichrist. And those that walk with an Antichrist spirit. And there's a spirit of Antichrist alive in the world today. Jesus said, you're either for me or against me. It's one or the other. You either serve the Christ or the Antichrist. And in the midst of that, we're in a valley of decision where children of wrath can become children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And that's the only way you're going to move from one to another. But the day is coming. The day is coming when justice will be served. And I thank Jesus Christ that, that again, he took the wrath through me. And I can say I'm justified now through what Christ did for me. Because outside of that, I don't care, again, where you land on this scale, this pecking order of what's good and what's bad, if you're not covered by the blood of the Lamb, th this is what awaits. The man of the earth is going to oppress no more because he's going to be under an eternal judgment. So much better to be under eternal salvation in Jesus. Let's stand up and close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we bless you tonight. We praise you. We thank you for your word. Jesus, we thank you for the work of the cross of Calvary, for your death and resurrection. We thank you as well, Lord. You are, you are coming soon, Lord. And Lord, let us rest in that, God. Let us rest when our heart grieves at the prospering of wickedness and even just false doctrine and apostasy and this utter rebellion that's in our world today that seems like a fire with gasoline being poured upon it. We thank you, Lord, that righteousness will reign supreme. And again, yet in the midst of that, let us stay humble because we've been afforded righteousness, not based on ours, it's filthy rags, but based on the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So help us to keep the proper perspective in these things, to have an eternal perspective, Lord. And we thank you we can cast these cares upon you. And listen, if you're here tonight and you don't know Christ, you've heard the gospel we're sinners, but Jesus lived a sinless life, and he took the wrath through you, me, you and me upon himself so that we could be saved from the condemnation that we're under in and of ourselves. And you may be say, saying, Steve, I want that. I want to be saved tonight. How, how do I become born again? You repent. You turn from whatever your God is, and you put your faith in Jesus Christ to be your God, to be the Lord of your life, to confess Jesus is Lord. That's not... I said this prayer, it is, Jesus, be my Lord, be my God. I submit to you. I lay my life before you. I'm giving you the keys of my life, so to speak. I lay it all before you. Be my God. I trust in you to be my Savior, to be my Lord. That's what that means, to ask Jesus to be your Lord. And the beautiful thing is that he, he'll begin to do the work in you. He'll give you the Holy Spirit and begin to renew your mind. If you haven't called on him, today's the day of salvation. Call on him tonight. Call on him right now. He'll save you. He'll be your Lord. He'll cleanse you. Lord, in any of that place, Lord, even any right now, Lord, 
Perhaps they're here right now just saying, yes, Jesus, wash me, forgive me, cleanse me. Meet, meet, meet them where they are right now, Lord. Fill them with your Holy Spirit right now. And listen, if that's you, tell someone. Tell someone before you leave here tonight. Tell them that Jesus is your Lord. And well, you know what? Maybe you just, you've never even been in church. You walked in here. We want to help you with your walk with Christ. Equip you with a, with a Bible and, and do everything we can to come alongside just to point you to Him. Not to us, not to Refuge Church, but to Him. Refuge Church doesn't save anyone. It's Jesus Christ that saves you. Bless the rest of our night and our fellowship, Lord. We thank you and we pray these things in Jesus' name.